Hello. Hello. Welcome to Salem the Podcast. We are your hosts and favorite Salem tour guides. My name is Sarah Black. And I'm Jeffrey Lilly. And today we are coming to you with part two of Tichaba. So if you haven't listened to part one, go back two weeks and uh, pick up on that. Run through. Uh, listen to that episode. Not saying it won't make sense, especially if you're familiar with the trials, but I definitely think it's in your best interest. We talked about some of her early life, but in this episode, we're going to focus more on 1692 and what transpired afterwards. So we've got like the history of, but let's now talk. I mean, it's all history, <laughs> but like why she is such an important player in, in this in this narrative and I've been trying very hard not You've to. You've done really well lately. I'm <laughs> I, like, did he forget that that's his favorite word? <laughs> no, but you get called out on it, and then all of a sudden you're like, ah, and it just, so there we go, it slipped out. Um, I think I'm actually going to propose for the live show that we do a drinking game where every time you say narrative, everyone takes a sip. Don't tell me that. You have like a secret word. Okay. Because if I know the word. You're just going to say it. Then I'm going to make sure people get hammered. We don't need that. No. So- uh, within her role within the scope of the witch trials, why she's such an important player. And uh, we're going to read trial documents and court proceedings and all that fun stuff for you today. But before we get started on that, we've got a very brief little reminder for you. <coughs> on March 21st, 2023, Sail on the Podcast will be hosting its first ever live show. Don't worry, we won't sound like that when we do it. <laughs> I will. I'm going to do the entire podcast live, just like this. A live announcer's voice. <laughs> but yes, we are having our first live show. As we mentioned a couple episodes ago, that is going to take place pretty much on our one-year anniversary. As you are listening to this now... Tickets are available. So if you head over to Eventbrite, you can search Salem the Podcast. It should come right up. But we also have links in the show notes and we'll have it on our website, all of our socials. We'll be pushing this pretty hard for the next couple of weeks. So just keep your eyes peeled, get the tickets. There's only a select amount available. So if you are on the fence about going, you're probably going to want to make that decision relatively soon. So again, if you've been to Far From the Tree, it's not like some huge theater performance. It's a, a fun little small venue. Uh, so reach out, grab your tickets. Uh, again, March 21st, 6.30. Doors open. Seven will begin. Uh, what are we talking about? We're talking about prohibition in Salem, because what better topic to cover while you're drinking well, alcohol? While we're drinking. It's going to be fun. Also, 1920s attire is encouraged. Yeah. We know how everyone in Salem loves to dress up, us being uh, some of those people. <laughs> so any excuse to get a little dolled up in the midst of winter, have at it. There we go. There'll be more surprises to come, uh, maybe some giveaways, some prizes, merch, all, all that sort of stuff. We'll get more details about that in the next month. Uh, but one last thing is uh, that if you are in the Hocus Pocus tier of the Patreon, we've got you a complimentary ticket. So reach out to us via the Patreon and uh, go from there. So come see us live. Come see us live. It's going to be fun. Be a little party. Yes. Speaking of Patreon. We've got a couple shout outs today. So uh, again, Thank you to our Patreons. Uh, this week, shout out to Ashton Montgomery. 
Ashton Montgomery sounds like a southern, like country music star name. Oh, I was gonna say like 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 royal, like Ashton Montgomery. Mm, fancy. <laughs> a big thank you to Bill David. Bill David. Bill thank you. David. Following that, Hannah Eddy. Thank you, Hannah. We appreciate you. And after Hannah, we have Jess. Just Jess. Just Jess. So remember, you, you can put your name in here as, as whatever you want. So Jess. Like share. Like share. Or we got Prince. A group, we got a group of those forming in here. Yeah, there's like six or seven. There's just the first name. After Jess, we have Mallory Perna. Thank you, Mallory. And last but not least today, thank you, Carol. Carol. And I think this is uh, the Carol that we ran into this past weekend. For Salem So Sweet. Uh-huh. Uh, ran into Carol with Bora. Bora. Yeah, or Brian. Uh, literally just on the street. We're like, wait a minute. And also, I got to give a quick shout out to you, Sarah. Oh, thank you. Uh, you're like, wait, that Bora or Brian. And they're like, wait, you, you're Carol. And then you came up with her last name. And then you came up with her Instagram handle. And then you came up with like her other Instagram that she does as like an artist. And you're just like rattling these things off. And I was like, I don't know where it came from. I just, the it, memory got jogged. Cause it, I had said earlier that night, I was like, I think I recognize that girl in that red jacket, but I can't place her. I it think, was a little terrifying. Well, in my defense, she has taken the tour before. And okay. I distinctly remember that experience like it was in October she's a super fan of the podcast she refused to let Charles take our picture she wanted a, a selfie specifically which kudos to her I love that she, did it, she I, did it again on Saturday I think that's like her shtick right that's what she does it was great um, but she was just such a kind person and you know I think what also stuck out to me is I saw oh she's gonna be so freaked out that I remember all this the day after she took the tour in October so think about that. We're giving like three tours, a, or your five tours, three tours a day, cycling through over a hundred people. The day after she took the tour, I ran into her on the street and she was very understanding about how, like what we do as a performance. She's like, I can't believe you do this three times a day. It's like giving a full, it's like being in a play. And uh, I, I can't remember what she said that she did specifically but she has a background in performing she's like you're on the whole time so it must be a whole different level that people don't understand so thank you carol for just being very into what we do and being such a big supporter and uh in addition anyone who sees us out in town come say hello it really means the world yeah so on to Tichaba. On with the show. Real quick, uh, again, check out last week's episode, but a quick refresher. We're coming up to the witch trials. We've covered her time, uh, her suspected history. Yeah, remember, we don't have a 100% guarantee on her roots. There is no definitive, yes, Tichaba was taken from here, enslaved here, brought here at this time it's kind of you know speculation from the documents that are available so again she's from northern south america uh, modern day venezuela in that region from a group of indigenous folk called the arawaks um, and the arawak tribe had multiple different subsects and she's part of one of those 
She was likely taken captive as a child or a young adolescent, brought to Barbados, where she was, of course, sold into slavery. Now, she comes into contact with Reverend Paris down there. It's there that he purchases her, brings her up to Boston in 1680. And then they will find themselves up in Salem Village between 1688 and 89 when Reverend Paris takes on the position of Salem Village minister. So remember, she's been with uh, Reverend Paris for a decade and a half, at least at, at this point. Uh, she's grown up with him. Uh, we don't know her age specifically, but likely uh, a young teenager to mid-20s, mid-30s by this point. So, like, it's sort of that. If, if she gets taken at age, like, 12, then she's, like, grown up with him through her teen years to the age of 25. If it was a little later, then she's a late teenager up into, like, early 30s. So that portion of her life she has spent in the Paris household with Reverend Paris. Um, she's going to know Betty Paris from the day she was born, which is like a whole nother thing. Uh, so, well, yeah, she, she's an enslaved person. She's not just like some random. She's She's been with the family for a significant amount of time. And the role she plays is, I don't know. Well, that's what makes her so unique and why it's kind of, I don't know if exciting is the right word, but it's interesting to talk about her yeah, because yeah. there are these different levels and we have to speculate on a lot of it because we don't know 100% the answers. But we do know she was living in the Paris household and you're right, she was there from the beginning before he met his wife, before he had any of his children. He was the, She was there for his failures. Like we talk about how he, he screwed up so much. Like imagine how he's in Boston, he's not doing so well. I wonder how much of that brunt she took possibly like she was there for all of it. But by the time they move to Salem, she is in her mid 20s or so. By 1692, she is 25 to 30 years old. And at that point, she, of course, is living in the home with Reverend Paris, his wife, their three children, uh, likely Abigail Williams, who lost her parents up north during an Indian attack, so she moves in with her uncle. And then she's also living in the home with her husband, John Indian. So we talked about John a little bit in the last episode. So we don't know expressly when they get married. We do know they are married. Remember, he had likely come up with Tichaba and Reverend Paris from Barbados. And he is also obviously an enslaved individual. He plays his own role. Uh, within the scope of the trials, which we'll talk about as well. So as you said, we don't have a date on their marriage. We don't even know if they wanted this. Oftentimes back then, even when people weren't enslaved, marriage was a bit of a transaction. You know, doing it for love wasn't always the case. Mm -hmm. And there is speculation that because Reverend Paris is now a reverend, he's a minister, he's got to uphold that clean pure household puritan yep pure yeah pure puritan there's a good chance that he required them to get married because how scandalous if you had two unwed unwed slaves living in your house that the the things that could yeah, yeah there's another explanation too perhaps tichaba was pregnant mm. So that's another thing that we didn't really get a chance to touch on in the previous episode. In 1692 Salem, 
there is a very good chance that Tichaba had a daughter with her. And she would have been around the age two or three at this time. So the main evidence we have to support this theory comes from Samuel Paris's will. So he dies in 1720. He leaves to his son, quote, the Indian woman Violet, appraised at 30 pounds. So this is 28 years after 1692. So either Reverend Paris purchased another indigenous woman, which we talked about in the previous episode, that's not really something that you did back then. Um, here. here in in the colonies, there the relationship with the indigenous was not good, and you really wouldn't want to keep one as a slave, especially considering uh, where you right. So it it that that person would then be very close to their home, right? Right, like if you duck out at night, you can make it home. Yeah. Right. Whereas Tichaba, like her home is thousands of miles away yeah. across an ocean you need a boat you know if, if you have an indigenous slave here uh they go and you know 10 she, miles running through the night and, and now you're she has no yeah. connections yeah. where she's at but yeah so either he purchased another one or this is the product of the two people already living in his household so i did you know that she had a daughter? Because, like, I think I may have heard, like, whisperings, yes. but I never tracked yeah. down the stuff behind it, like how we know, how we don't know. So it, it's one of these things that we have to pick. When we tell tour, when we tell stories, when we have the tours, there's only so much information we can we can pass out. Right. And some things fit and some things don't. Uh, this has always been something that doesn't quite fit into the story that I tell. And I looked into it not significantly in depth but saw that and was like i'm still a little on the fence uh but you're i'm 100 percent all yeah, in i yeah. think this is i think this is her daughter just for the fact that it's very unlikely that reverend paris would have purchased anyone after this um of indian descent i think it's always strange that there's this uh so we have that evidence of reverend paris right but nothing during the trials. Well, that's so crazy, right? Yeah. But also, would that have been something in their purview? So someone would have had to watch the kid, right? Like, is it John? Indy? She she was taken away from her daughter. They the this the that. I I just and again we're missing. Who is it? And we'll say this again. Marilyn Roach says we're missing. Shoot, more than we can even know. No, no. We've lost more information than we'll ever know. Ever have. She thinks we've lost more than we do know. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe this is one of those bits of information that we've lost. Maybe there was a whole nother someone's journey talking about Tichaman yep. and, and her daughter and how John Indian had to watch the daughter. And also for the mere fact that they are enslaved. Yeah. They like, this is not, as you mentioned in our last episode, you don't see their voices and that that being people of color especially during this time come through in historical written documents right. and evidence for a multitude of reasons um elaine breslaw who uh -huh. i mentioned in the previous episode remember she's the author of tichaba reluctant witch of salem arguably the first profiling of tichaba we have she says that 
this would not have been something of note at all. Like the, the young child, a two or three year old child of a baby of two slaves, it would not have come up in the records. So that's just do with no, that. No. And, yeah. And it's, it's one of these things that is fun. We can argue about argue forever. Yeah. You know, because I think that child could not, was a drain on the Paris household, which is something that I always, that I thought of was like, it's another mouth to feed. It's taking time of Tichbus. It's, it's not, you know. And but it's also, I hate to use this word, in their minds, it is also an investment. So like. But may, maybe even Abigail and Betty would sometimes have to watch the girl. And it's like, there's, there's all these layered things. And I'm 100% not saying no because we don't have the evidence because we have like no evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm on the fence. It's an interesting. Oh, 100%. Like, yeah. Can you imagine if she had a child during this whole thing, if her and John, and we'll we'll talk about, like you said, John, his involvement later on. And then John has to watch the child for the year and a half that, that she's in, in jail. Mm-hmm. Tichiba doesn't get to see her daughter from age three to five. Yep. Yeah. Well, then, and then everything after after that. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, the, that did, could have been one of the... Did the take her? Well, that's... Yeah, no, the, yeah, so the Paris would have taken her. Her and Tichba's left to, we don't know. And they would have broken up that family. Yeah, yeah. Like, they often did so, in those circumstances, so... There we go. Whether she had a daughter or not, still contested, you can decide for yourself. But here we are in Salem, 1692... Tichaba is between the ages of 25 and 30. She is married to John Indian. She's living in the Paris household. And she is the first to have the finger pointed at her. So we often list sort of the first as good Osborne and Tichaba. But Tichaba is number one on on that list. So we're going to get started here with March 1st, that, that day of the arrest. Uh, but remember, in episode one, we talked about her involvement in the house, her uh, involvement with the witch cake, uh, her behavior with the girls, all those things. So uh, we covered all that, but we are jumping right now into March 1st. Fingers been pointed, and what do we do? So on that morning of March 1st, Tichaba was arrested alongside Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne. They were brought to the Ingersoll Tavern first to have Hannah Ingersoll check the women over for witches' marks. And we've talked about this mm-hmm. before, how if you are in league with the devil, you are likely given a familiar, and that familiar, that little animal thing. Go, will, go, go check the episode on familiars. Oh, yeah. We've got cats, we got rats, turtles. turtles. <laughs> What's the chicken-headed foot, uh, whatever? Uh, Chicken-footed, black-furred, human-faced imp. There we go. Who wouldn't want that suckling at you? Right. Um, Most people. But for the Puritans, this is one of the telltale signs of witchcraft, is you will have some type of mark on you that your familiar can then come and suckle from and get its life essence. So all these women are checked over for these marks. And and one thing, and we'll get into this in a second, is Tichba jumps on that familiar bandwagon like a lot of we'll we'll read this here in a second but remember this starts with her getting looked at for familiars and then she's questioned and she brings up familiars on like eight different occasions i wouldn't say a cause and effect there like she gets searched over and this is why she brings it up but that's just my opinion 
yes and no, but I think she is knowledgeable enough to read the room on several occasions and realize what they want. I would agree with that. To what degree? We won't know. Yeah. So I often think about the scene of that first morning, March 1st, the crowd that had started to amass as they're being brought to Ingersoll's, as they're being searched, was so large that they could not do the questioning there. They had to move it to Salem Village Meeting House. And that always blows my mind. The reports are somewhere around like 500 people, which would put it over the population of Salem Village overall. So just to think that it's already this much of a sensation that people are coming from all over to witness these witches be questioned. So this is within 24 hours, like barely. They don't have social media. But this, the, the way when we say like news spreads or like word travels and the tools that we use to do that today make it lightning fast across the world. But like within a matter of hours, people within miles of each other with no way of communicating other than like face to face know that this is taking that place this have then left whatever they're doing and gone to the you're like that also makes you wonder like gosh your days must have been really boring because <laughs> like this is it's march for, yeah. right they they to be fair um if i remember my my timeline correctly the the weather had been uh, incredibly bad for a few weeks there was storms and flooding uh, so they're sitting here on, on this. It's the middle of February. Heck, we don't have much to do right now. You're like, oh, okay. And they're like, oh, there's a there's an activity. There's witches. There's witches, and they're just hopping on. They're, some of them are walking. They're not even, like, on horses. Uh-huh. Like, you might have a couple horses, but if you're bringing the whole family, you got a cart. You're walking down to, to the ordinary. You're, I can, oh, jeez. It's crazy. It's the, the sensationalism of it all yeah. is wild. And of course, the girls had been having seizures that morning, so they're already afflicted. Mm-hmm. Magistrates John Hathorne and Jonathan Corwin were the two to preside over this initial questioning. Remember, we're not at the court level yet. We don't have the court of Oyer and Terminer. This is just preliminary. It's, it's not even pre-trial. Pre, like pre, we don't know what's going to happen when the new governor shows up. So this is what we're working with. So this is, and again, we've all seen our, our favorite, you know, uh, police interrogation movies and TV shows. This person's arrested. They don't have a lawyer. There are no lawyers, obviously, but they're brought into that like police holding cell and the police are just grilling them. They're, they're, they're shining the light on them and, and where were you on last night and what do you know and da 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 and, and that's the kind of questioning we're going to get here exactly but instead of being in your typical interrogation room they are in front of an audience of hundreds of people and these girls that are just acting outrageous probably in ways that most of these folks had never seen before the accused women were brought in for opening remarks and prayer but were interrogated one by one with the others removed from the courtroom. So no collaborating or anything. Which I think is good, but also hilarious that they had that wherewithal, but then they stuck them all. They, 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 there wasn't like a permanent separation. Yeah. They could then. But also the fact that 
this supposed witch can send her specter to attack these girls right in front of her, but can't go out to the other room and tell so-and-so, like, this is our story. Yeah, but again, no logic in this, remember. Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne were the first to be questioned. Both of them denied any affiliation with witchcraft. During both questionings, the girls continued their fits and acted as if they were being attacked. The meeting house then recessed for lunch, and Tichaba was brought in next. So which which one do we want to read from? Because there's multiple. B- both? I say both. That would get too redundant, I think. Um, We've got multiple recordings of this questioning. So I, to be fair, Ezekiel's is easier laid out. It is. Um, and then maybe highlight some of, I think Corwin's is better. I started to go through and separate it all and just became a So we have two records of this examination. I think we, three. Three? There's one from, there's a recording from Hathorne as well. We have three. Uh, So what this is, is like a transcript of went on. And this is the best, when we have, when we say the voice of Tichaba, this is what we have in her voice as written by someone else. And this is where we get a significant amount of evidence of the entire scope of the Salem Witch Trials. This sets the scene. Yeah. This is what they will go back to and reference. There are witches amongst us. Tichaba said so. This is this is where it this, all begins. This, is, this is where it starts. Uh, other than their religious extremism and their wild, rampant fear of everything that happens in their day to day lives, and their inability to, you know, even smile or laugh or have fun. Um, <laughs> this is the foundation of the Salem witch trials. Uh, so we're going to read you one that's a little easier to read. I think some are a little more in depth. Um, I think I think Corwin's is like a little better, but it's a little harder to read. Yeah, and my guess is so. Corwin and Hathorne are writing this after the fact. Yeah, they probably yeah. used Ezekiel's transcript and then put their own spin and interpretation on it afterwards. Mm-hmm. And we're going to read line by line. I guess I'll be Magistrate Hathorne. Yeah, that, that'd be... <laughs> I think it'd be appropriate. Fine. Begrudgingly. Tichuba, what evil spirit have you familiarity with? None. Why do you hurt these children? I do not hurt them. Who is it then that does? The devil, for aught I know. Did you ever see the devil? The devil came to me and bid me serve him. So that's that. Whoa. Whoa, (laughs) whoa. That's like right out the gate. Yeah. We are five lines in. Yeah. But, But also, within five lines, her story has changed. I'm sorry. It's like more like 10. Well. What Eight. evil spirit have none? So she's out the gate. Have you done this? No. Three lines later. Well, it was the devil. So she does clearly have a familiarity with the devil. And you're going to notice as this continues, it's like, I always say, like, it's like a dance. He's like leading her. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think she was smart enough to see, as you were saying earlier, that she was getting some positive reinforcement mm-hmm. on this. And thought, maybe if I continue with it, it'll save my life. She realizes what they're looking for, and her knowledge, which we'll get to later, serves her well here. Who have you seen? Four women. Sometimes they hurt the children. 
Who were they? Goody Osborne and Sarah Good. I do not know who the other were. Sarah Good and Osborne would have me hurt the children, but I would not see further. There was a tall man of Boston. When did you see them? Last night at Boston. They said hurt the children. And did you hurt them? No. There is four women and one man. They hurt the children. And they tell me if I will not hurt the children, they will hurt me. Did you not hurt them? Yes, but I will hurt them no more. Are you not sorry you did hurt them? Yes. And why then do you hurt them? They say hurt the children, or we will do worse to you. So, interesting. She's saying that she's only doing what she's doing because these other women and this tall man of Boston are threatening her. So, it's like selling out the guys above you, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to hurt them, but if... Self-preservation, man. Yeah. What have you seen a man come to me and say, serve me, what service? He said, hurt the children. And last night there was an appearance that said, kill the children. And if I would not go on hurting the children, they would do worse to me. What is this appearance you see? Sometimes it is like a hog and sometimes like a great dog. This appearance, she saith, she did see four times. So there we go. So that's one of the first introductions of the sort of otherworldly strained a dog a great or, or sorry a hog a great dog these just now animals that are appearing what did it say to okay sorry oh the fact that he's asking like what did like talk about leading right yeah like hawthorne's like oh you saw, saw you a saw a dog. dog what did it say to you now dr so, doolittle like hawthorne's not sorry titchup is not saying there are talking animals Hawthorne is saying there's talking animals. And is asking what they said. Yeah. What are, what are you supposed to do in that situation? Say they didn't talk to me? Well, that wasn't going to satisfy them. Saying no, we, as we've established five lines earlier, clearly doesn't work. So, <clears throat> what did it say to you? The black dog said, serve me. But I said, I am afraid. And he said, if I did not, he would do worse to me. <laughs> what did you say to it? I will serve you no longer. Then he said he would hurt me, and then he looks like a man and threatens to hurt me. This man had a yellow bird that kept with him, and he told me he had more pretty things that he would give me if I would serve him. What were these pretty things? He did not show me them. What else have you seen? Two cats, a red cat and a black cat. What did they say to you? They said, serve me. We have talking black cats now. Serve me. Like, what, what, what more iconic witch story crafting do you do you talking black cats oh the sticks are coming that I, <laughs> the, the flying on sticks shh, don't don't tell them anything spoiler alert <clears throat> when did you see them last last night and they said serve me but i said i would not what service hurt the children did you not pinch elizabeth hubbard this morning the man brought her to me and made me pinch her <sighs> they're all fucking crazy why did you go to Thomas Putnam's last night and hurt this child? They pull and haul me and make me go. And how would have you do kill her with a knife? Fuller and others said at this time when the child saw these persons and was tormented by them that she did complain of a knife, that they would have cut her head off with a knife. How did you go? We rode upon sticks and are there presently. Do you go through the trees or over them? We see no thing, but are there presently. Which is so eerie. I think she's saying like her 
Spectre is in Boston right. as she's speaking yeah. with them in Salem Village. And they rode on sticks. So this is, I think, uh, the first mention yep. that we have of riding on broomsticks. Uh, it comes straight from Tichuba. Uh, within this interrogation, there's riding on broomsticks, there's black cats, there's familiars, and we're not even done. And just to know, I don't think this is the first time witches have been like associated with brooms no, or riding no, on no, sticks no. or anything. He, like here. Yeah, here in Salem, like in this situation. Yeah. But there have been woodcuts being produced over in Europe uh, depicting witches flying on broomsticks for at least 100 years prior. So, but yes, this is the first time we see these otherworldly things come up in Salem. Why did you not tell your master? Master being, sorry, Paris. Of course. Not the devil. I'm sure he would have made a better master, though. Mm. I was afraid they said they would cut off my head if I told. Would you not have hurt others if you could? They said they would hurt others, but they could not. What attendance has Sarah good? A yellow bird, and she would have given me one. What meat did she give it? It did suck her between her fingers. Mm-hmm. Did you not hurt Mr. Corwin's child? Goody Good and Goody Osborne told that they did hurt Mr. Corwin's child and would have me hurt him too, but I did not. What has Sarah Osborne? Yesterday she had a thing with a head, like a woman with two legs and wings. What else have you seen with Goody Osborne? Another thing. Harry, it goes upright like a man. It hath only two legs. I feel like a giant upright walking hairy thing with only two legs might not be the It only has two legs? Like, <laughs> four, eight? Like, hey, you know, I'm demonic goats walk on two legs, so right? you never know. But terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Like these things that she's describing here, again, this is like the foundation for everything that's going to come later. Uh, all these talks of these black gold creatures shape-shifting. <sighs> anyway. Did you not see Sarah Good upon Elizabeth Hubbard last Saturday? I did see her set a wolf upon her to afflict her. The persons with this maid did say that she did complain of a wolf. What clothes doth the man go in? He goes in black clothes, a tall man with white hair, I think. How doth the woman go? In a white hood and a black hood with a top knot. Do you see who it is that torments these children now? Yes, it is goody good. She hurts them in her own shape. And who is it that hurts them now? I am blind now. I cannot see. That's it. I say that's it. <laughs> that's a lot. As we recover from our 17th century readings. <laughs> Sorry for struggling uh, through that. Oh, they won't hear all the struggles. They'll hear some of the struggles. Some of the struggles. Um, so this is wild. I mean, if you, you go back, you've got all sorts of creatures, uh, people, people appearing in their own form, people appearing in other forms, uh, you have familiars, you have winged familiars, things with wings, things with faces, things with legs. And like distinctly familiars, the yeah. suckling between the fingers and very much a pointing 
of her own fingers at Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne. Like she very readily picks up on the fact that they're looking for someone. Yeah. Now it depends on, on when, when I'm on my tour, the, the amount of time that, that I have when I'm talking about this, sometimes I get to mention this and sometimes I don't. Um, but I get to mention it now, which is why we get to do a podcast. We can talk about all these cool things. People are like, how did you, where did all this information come from? Because to them, Clearly, if she knows all these things, she must be a witch. And it baffles me. Like, I will never, and I, I understand, and maybe it's just because I'm like a 21st century decent person, how they didn't pick up on the fact that the reason she knew this was just because she lived with Reverend Paris. Like, how that's not the obvious answer. How to them the obvious answer is, you're a witch. The obvious answer isn't, you live with the fear-mongering minister and have for 15 years. But that's not what she's telling them. She's telling them that I've seen the devil. In a world where that's what they believe, why wouldn't they believe that? That That is the easy answer. The easy answer is she is in league with the devil and Salem is under attack. For them, that was like the quickest, most reasonable explanation. In my, in my mind, it doesn't make sense, which is why we don't understand how these people acted. I'm like, how do you believe that this woman is now coming and just professing, confessing all these things? She's been in league with the devil, da, da, da. Like the only way she can possibly have access to this information is because what she's saying must be true. These women must be witches. All this is real. And it's not. If anything, I think it's like the perfect like coalescence of yeah. imagine you've got 500 people jammed into this meeting house. You have a band of half a dozen girls in the midst of the meeting house, acting insane, afflicted, screaming, seizing, unable to speak or control themselves. And then you have three women, all outcasts in society. Sarah Good, of course, being a beggar. Sarah Osborne, not having attended church in about a year and a half mm -hmm. and being ill and kind of just a little bit on the fringes. And then Tichaba, who is probably the most outcast of them all. She looks different than them. She, and we've mentioned a couple times, the conflict with the indigenous people, especially for Salem, and it's why it is such a factor in the trials and, and how they kick off. Because if you were a Puritan in 1692 Salem, you would have developed a fear of, the, and, of and, indigenous people. Yeah. Which is, is fair. Yeah, given what they have been dealing with yeah. for the, yeah, and vice versa. Of course, the yeah. indigenous are going to have a fear of the white man because they're coming and stealing land. Yeah. But, but it, she it is, is not, the, she's, the, the darkness to them is real, right? Like, right. And to them, Indians are just naturally in league with the devil. So I think if anything, it was they're, a very they're, easy. They're, they're savages. Yeah. It was a very easy jump for them to make. Like, of course, she, of course she is going to give us everything that we've been looking for. I hate it. I hate everything it's about perfect. it. Perfect. So she confesses. Straight uh, up confession. And, and provides them with, with a litany of information that are going to be sounding boards and, and, uh, bits of evidence that are used over the next several months. Um, but this, in my opinion, isn't her most important interrogation. Like, this is good. This is the first one. But, but there's more. There's more. After the interrogation at the meeting house, all of the women were put in jail. Mm -hmm. Sarah Good 
was transferred to the jail at Ipswich and Tichaba and Sarah Osborne were put in the Salem jail, which we all know if you've taken a tour in town, uh, any tour, probably any tour, you probably walk past it or in Jeffrey's case, pointed at it, but you were there. Depositions by the afflicted girls were also taken down during this time. And all of them are strikingly similar. Of course, it's the same person taking down these depositions, but it's, it's, it's almost formulaic. Tichaba pricked me, she pinched me, but the torment lessened after she confessed. And in Elizabeth Hubbard's case, she even claims that she was trying to choke her. But again, the symptoms decreased after Tichaba confessed. So they're already assigning this unique role to her because she is coming forth with the information. She is now in a section all of her own. She's like intel. Yeah, yeah. So she's uh, a source of intelligence, but she's also like the bottom rung, right? So she's like, I don't know, street dealer, right? But but you want the supplier. You want the guy who's, you want the guy above above her, above them, above them. And that's sort of the, the chase that they're going on now. So it's the next day, March 2nd, while in jail, Tichaba adds to her confession. So this is the second day. And I believe this was done in jail, if I recall. Right. The way I sort of try and describe it is like the first one is, you know, that big public thing, but then the magistrates need more. And so they just go and they're like, we're just going to. We need more information. Yeah. Yep. They go to the jail and they're like, you know, rattling the cages and whatever. And this is where we get, so you're going to see some more leading, I mean, it was leading the day before, but more leading questions as well as sort of hammering away and peeling back to get some more finer details. One of my most favorite quotes is in here as well, as well as uh, what I think is the most important question asked and answered in the entirety of the Salem Witch Trials. I think I know which one you're referring to. (coughs) Are you ready? Yes. Let's do some more old English. Here we go. Thanks for listening. <laughs> They're like, yep, uh, click. <laughs> fast forward, fast forward. 15 minutes, 15 seconds. No. <laughs> our, our listeners are history lovers. Yes. They want it all, right? Yes. Right. What covenant did you make with that man that came to you? What did he tell you? He tell me he God, and I must believe him and serve him. Six years, and he would give me many fine things. How long ago was this? Ooh, might I just make note that she said six years because the typical um, indentured servitude was usually around seven years. Okay. So very, I, I wonder if that's where she just has knowledge of that because there were that, indentured servants yeah. in Salem at the time. So, so she's saying that the devil will make her an indentured servant for the... It's just interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because you would think that this is like for life, you know? You can opt out, right? I guess. You can't opt out of Puritanism, but it looks like you can (laughs) opt out of your pact with the devil. Makes sense. (sighs) How long ago was this? About six weeks and a little more. Friday night before Abigail was ill. What did he say you must do more? Did he say you must write anything? Did he offer you any paper? So again, very much leading questions. Yeah. And this is where we start getting the devil's book. Yep. And and that's, so who is it? It might be Marilyn K. Roach says, like, that 
books are very important to mm-hmm. them, right? It is the good book. This is the Bible, right? This is the covenant with God. Well. Like we all like books. Yeah. It's yeah. different for Puritans. Yeah. I think we've talked about how uh, Jonathan Corwin, remember we went to the witch house. Over a hundred? He had an absurd like, amount of books. What? That's like, that puts you above. That's It's hard to even yeah. describe what status you would have to carry to have that type of library. Just being able to read was a status symbol in itself. Well, anything other than the Bible. <laughs> but we're now going to establish the use of the bad book in this narrative. The Book of the Dead. Just kidding. That's from the mummy. <laughs> Sorry. Did he offer you any paper? Yes, the next time he come to me and showed me some fine things, something like creatures, a little bird, something like green and white. Did you promise him then when he spoke to you, then what did you answer him? I then said this. I told him I could not believe him, God. I told him I asked my master and would have gone up, obviously to speak to Reverend Paris, but he stopped me and he would not let me. What did you promise him? The first time I believe him, God... And then he was glad. What did he say to you then? What did he say you must do? This, he tell me, they must meet together. When did he say you may meet together? He tell me Wednesday night at my master's house. And then they all meet together. And that night I saw them all stand in the corner, all four of them. And the man stand behind me and take hold of me to make me stand still in the hall. Where was your master then? In the other room. Just gonna pause here real quick. This is all in Reverend Paris's house that that she's describing this, right? That's what it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. So she's now confessing that like the literal devil himself has with other people have been stood in the Reverend's home. I can't imagine how how, well, how, how terrifying that must have been. And again, I know you said why do they believe her? It doesn't make sense, but this I mean, it's the Reverend Paris's house. Like, if the devil's going to be anywhere, of he, course he's, he's going to go after one of our top religious figures. Going, yeah. So to them now, we have this admission. The devil has infiltrated the minister's own home. I'm not sure I'll ever know what that fear is like. And it always makes you wonder, and we've talked about before, whether or not they knew from the get-go that this wasn't real. Yes, we all know that they believe in witchcraft, in the devil. But like, do we think that these men truly believed every word that she said? I think so. Think I, so? I think 100%. To them, it was as real as... And you know, if anything, they were probably transcribing this and thinking, this is the case of my career. Like, <laughs> this is this is big. This and, is huge. Yeah. I could be a warrior for Salem and take down the devil. <laughs> That's what these people are thinking. God... Or so I suppose. Yeah. So we're saying that the devil, the witches, they are in the Paris household. What time of night? A little before prayer time. What did this man say to you when he took hold of you? He say, go to the other room and see the children and do hurt them and pinch them. And then I went in and would not hurt them a good while. I would not hurt Betty. I loved Betty. But they haul me and make me pinch Betty, and the next Abigail, and then quickly went away altogether, and I pinched them. Did they pinch? No, but they all looked on and saw me pinch them. Did you go into that room in your own person and all the rest? Yes, and my master did not see us, for they would not let my master see. Did you go with the company 
No, I stayed and the man stayed with me. What did he then to you? He tell me my master go to prayer and he read in book and he asked me what I remember. Did he ask you no more, but the first time serve him or the second time? Yes, he asked me again and that I serve him six years and he come next time and show me a book. The book. And what book did he bring? A great or little book? He did not show it me, nor would not, but had it in his pocket. Okay, so quick interjection here. She changes the narrative a little bit, but she also answers his question. Was it a big book or a little book? He wouldn't show me, but it was in his pocket. Well, to me... Well, like a a modern day detective would be like, well, this is a false confession right here. Like, well, if it's a little book, it's in your pocket. And then she said she didn't see it. But then, right here, we have a little bit more questioning. Did not he make you write your name? No, not yet, for my mistress called me into the other room. What did he say you must do in that book? He said, write and set my name to it. Did you write? Yes, once I made a mark in the book and made it with red like blood. <sighs> I know, like, how, how much more theatrical can you get? Oh. Book, of the, he- book of the devil, got a sign in blood. She says she didn't even see it. Now she's making her mark in the book. Also, with- it's a pocket size. Uh. Like, what? Did he get it out of your body? He said he must get it out the next time he come again. He give me a pin tied in a stick to do it with. But he no let me blood with it as yet, but intended another time when he come again. Here we go. Did you see any other marks in his book? So if there were none, like no leading questions, I'm sure none of this would have came to fruition. No. But this part in particular, he needs more. Yeah. So now she has seen the book. She has touched she has made her mark in the devil's book which to them is like a to, to us it's a contract we, we sign our name shit all the time it's a binding contract boom deal with the devil literally did you see any other marks in his book yes a great many some marks red some yellow he opened his book a great many marks in it did he tell you the names of any of them Yes, of two, no more, Good and Osborne. And he say, they make them marks in that book. And he showed them to me. This is it. This is the question that I'm going to say next that I think is, this is it. This is the most important. Are you excited that you get to question I, now? I, 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 yeah. am, I am a little bit. But there you go. Again, the, this this is the most important. Any 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 interrogation, any anything. I think this is this is the most important question. How many marks do you think there was? Nine. That's it. That that that's the start of the Salem Witch Trials right there. If she had not said that, it could have just been her. It could have been Good Osborne, uh, and 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 that's it, and we're done. And hell, if that were the case, they may not have like no one may have been executed yeah because as we've mentioned before on the podcast up until 1692 yes there had been other executions for witchcraft but usually when you went on trial you would get fined you may do jail time it was rare uncommon for someone to actually be executed for it 
but now there were nine unknown witches. Maybe good Nosborn teacher, but so fine. Six. Who? So let's finish up. Did they write their names? They made marks. Goody Good said she made her mark, but Goody Osborne would not tell. She was cross to me. When did Good tell you she set her hand to the book? The same day I come hither to prison. Did you see the man that morning? Yes, a little in the morning, and he tell me the magistrates come up to examine me. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> she's so not, is, But she's like incorporating what's happening into her story. So like she's telling him that yesterday the devil came and warned her that they were going to come and talk to her. <sighs> Madness. I wonder what she was thinking, and, you know, we can never know, but she, I wonder if she was really, like, thinking about it, or if it was just, uh, she just answered instinctually, like. I think this one is way more thought, she's had time, she's had a day, but she's had enough time, right, so yesterday. To think about what to do. Yeah, and what to say, so I think, I think this really showcases how much she knew. How much she just listened to Reverend Paris, how much she had learned about their community, about their culture, about their ideas and their beliefs. And she's just spoon feeding it back to them. She would have had to hear Reverend Paris's fire and brimstone sermons, not just at the meeting house, but also in the house itself. When he was practicing, like you look at his journals, he's like, practice sermons. Tichibas, it's not a big house. She's 10 feet away from the man. And she's known him for years. And I do wonder, too, how much she picked up from Boston as well. Mm -hmm. Because if he is surrounded by other ministers while he's in the city prepping to become one up in Salem, this is something that he may have been learning about, talking about. Uh She's serving them dinner. She's making them dinner. She's cleaning up after the dinner. She's not like she's in the room. She's the reason she knows all this is because she's listened to the idiot. And now she's just here you go. You want information about the devil? I got it for you. Now, there is speculation, and we'll talk about Reverend Paris possibly beating Tichaba in a bit, but some have said or suggested that he coached her on what to say, and that's why when they come to her for the second examination, she has so much more information to divulge, and she has all of these details that so play into their already established understanding like i said we are going to tackle it a little bit after this what did he say you must say he tell me tell nothing if i did he would cut my head off tell us true how many women come when you ride abroad so i think that's in reference to To the the riding on sticks down to boston four of them these two osborne and good and those two strangers You say that there was nine. Did he tell you who they were? No, he no let me see. But he tell me I should see them the next time. What sights did you see? I see a man, a dog, a hog, and two cats, a black and a red. And a strange monster was Osborne's that I mentioned before. This was the hairy imp the man would give it to me, but I would not have it. Did he show you in the book which was Osborne and which was Good's marks? Yes, I see their marks. But did he tell you the names of others? No, sir. What did he say to you when he made your mark? He said, serve me and always serve me. How many times did you go to Boston? I was going and then came back again. 
I was never at Boston. Who came back with you again? The man came back with me, and the women go away. I was not willing to go. How far did you go? To what town? I never went to any town. I see no trees, no town. Did he tell you where the nine lived? Yes, some in Boston and some here in this town, but he would not tell me who they were. So <clears throat> I'm reading this kind of like calmly, but but I can only imagine she was terrified and he's sitting And he here, was like hammering her. Yeah, like who came back with you? How far did you go? Did you know? Who were the nine? Tell me the names. Like just over and over and over again. A very high stress situation. <sighs> That's it. There we go. So two things that just like randomly stick out to me. It's so sad to see her comment made about Betty, how oh, she loved Betty. Yeah. And how I, I genuinely believe that. She probably had a closer relationship with Betty than Reverend Paris had with his own daughter. I mean, she again, since she was born, she they likely slept together. Like, yeah. In the same room. Yep. Like, lived together. Like it's not like, oh, the maid that comes in like And we like to play this game where if you took something out of the situation, like would it have stopped everything? I think that if Abigail Williams had never come to that house, this would have never happened. I don't think Betty Paris would have pointed I, the finger at Tichaba on her own, personally. I'm just walking through in my head. I agree. Because Betty had probably never had, probably, she, <laughs> I say probably, she definitely never had a negative interaction with uh, an indigenous person. Right, like maybe, right. like maybe an argument or dirt. No, like, but if anything, she was raised by one. Right, and now you get this girl who's a little older than her, who's coming in, and all of a sudden starts whispering in your ear, "Well, they're monsters. They're savages. They killed my mom. That you don't know. They're going to turn on you." Da 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 da. Monkey see, monkey do. And at the same time, we get Reverend Paris now in the role of minister, who's now giving these sermons, which are not saying they're not saying that the, the the indigenous people are going to come and kill them but that the devil is going to come and kill you and then abigail williams is being like the indigenous people are going to come and kill you and betty paris is sitting here nine years old yeah yeah 100 no, percent. yep it just it it hurts my heart to see that that it probably hurt tichaba's heart to see <sighs> betty just point at her i can't yeah, ah. yeah. Yep. that sucks and then the other thing that also stood out to me, and this is just for flashiness, the whole decapitation stuff. Over and over and over so again. So much decapitation. Yeah. Terrified. I'm personally terrified. Like, that's one of those things I'm, yeah, <laughs> I don't even like to talk about because it's just so scary. But the amount that it comes up in here ugh, is very vivid. Although, mm, I guess, like, this is going to be quite morbid, um, like scalping was definitely in their purview. So on both sides, both sides. I'm just, I'm trying to think like what. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I think it's derived from conflicts and just like their general fear with indigenous. So like, for example, King uh, Philip's war after yeah. they got him, they, 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 they decapitated and left his head outside of. Uh-huh. Boston? No. I don't think it was Boston. Maybe Plymouth. For like years. Yeah, for years. Yeah. So I think it would just be That's something. where that. 
it's in their, it's just in their understanding yeah. of general fear. Of that is the punishment that happens if you. Right. Super disturbing. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. So those are the, the, the sort of two confessions of Tichaba. Um, day one, it sets the groundwork. Day two just adds and adds the introduction of the devil's book, of the signatures, of the signing in blood, the, the traveling, the other people, the, the, the whispering, the pinching. And that really sets the groundwork for the next six months. And might I say, probably the most vivid of all the confessions we will get. I think the only ones that are sort of a little more vivid or like equally are when we start talking about Burroughs. But that is very similar to this. We see some of the similar tropes and they've also all been sitting in jail together for like three weeks and it's what's-his-face's confessions anyway. Um, Putnam. Oh, like his recordings? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah Burroughs takes on, well, we've talked about yeah, him. He's yeah. He's also in another category king of hell so on that second day during her second confession she is searched once again for witches marks and i just like to reiterate this fact because we usually skim over it in the tours just because it can get a little disturbing but this is a hundred percent full-blown violation of a person's body um, they are searching every crevice every part everything as if her dignity wasn't already stripped away. But what I also find weird is that in this confession, just a moment, she, um, the feet, she has said that this is a thing. Yes. She recognizes that she saw a bird suckling between the fingers of, I believe, Sarah Good. Yeah. Yeah. So not only is she being searched, she has admitted that witches' marks exist. On March 3rd, so we're on day three, all three women were questioned in jail again. Tichaba maintains her original testimony. She adds just a teeny tiny bit more. Um, she claims that Diodat Lawson, who he ends up being heavily involved in the transcriptions of the court, and just I think he may even be a constable or has some of those types of responsibilities, but his wife and his child had died in Salem Village. And Tichaba is now saying that that was witchcraft. Mm -hmm. So not only it's it's kind of perfect you're watching it take shape she has graduated from these visions to actually being able to use something that happened in the village and retro date that as witchcraft which of course we see further down the line in the trials a lot of people come and say hey my crops failed last year or my my fence was run through by, by hogs. hogs eight years ago it's rebecca nurse's fault so it's something a pattern that we will see take shape again examined again on march 5th alongside sarah good she repeats her story and it is finally on march 7th that they are all moved to Boston jail. Now, why would they go to Boston jail? Well, because this is actually the place where you're supposed to have these court cases. <laughs> they anticipated that that is where this trial would take place. So yeah, we're going to send them down to Boston like you normally do for a capital crime. Right, so this wasn't unusual, right? It, and we all know Salem, Salem witch trials, which is Salem, cool. But if you're like, oh, theft, larceny, Arrested, questioned, sent to Boston. Right. I would think that Boston's jail was a bit larger. Yeah, yeah. But they definitely, 
definitely shoved a lot of people in both of them. So with a way more corrupt jailer. That's a story for another time. We'll we'll talk about that when we talk about Philip English. Yeah. The bribes and the escapes. The missing doors. Fleeing the state or fleeing the colony. I only say missing doors because either he was taking bribes or there were no doors in the jail. <laughs> <laughs> right? Touche. <laughs> like He probably was sitting on a nice little chunk mm. of change at the end of that. But again, story for okay. story for another day. But yes, the prison conditions down in Boston and Salem. Just as horrific. Horrible. Radically inhumane. The journey from Salem jail down to Boston jail took almost an entire day. The basic fee, and this is coming right from a day-by-day chronicle by Marilyn K. Roach, one of our favorites. The basic fee was two shillings, six pence a week. About as much as a woman could hope to earn in a week. So that's per day. It's about a week's worth of wages. Plus processing fees and fees for shackles. Boston's jail seemed to be an open common room, bordered by smaller rooms where some of the prisoners were locked at night, and from which some escaped by removing the window bars. Like the smaller Essex County jails, it was set inside a fenced yard that less dangerous prisoners could exercise in. Wealthy prisoners could even rent a room in the prison keeper's house. Philip English. (laughs) Philip! (laughs) And attend religious meetings under guard. It is not clear if any of the rooms were underground, although there may have been windowless inner rooms. References to, quote, Dungeons may be metaphorical, synonymous with close confinement or close prison. Even then, the jails intended to hold prisoners only temporarily were hot in summer and cold in winter, infested with lice, and stank at all times of dung and tobacco. Prisons, as one visiting Englishman said a few years before, were, quote, suburbs of hell. So just to give you an idea of what she was having, of course, everyone, but Tichaba had to deal with. And you know that she is not going to be one of the ones in a private private cell. Yeah. Again, deplorable conditions. It's stunning that more people didn't die. We, we, we've mentioned that the deaths in jail, that there's continued deaths in jail, uh, but deaths are no deaths. Like for the next year and a half, right? March, April, May, June, year and three months. Tichaba just sits in jail. Yeah, she'll end up being moved back up to Salem, but she's in the Boston jail for the next yeah. year. And and just like forgotten. It, it's really everything about this is weird. I think what happens is they get their initial confession. They get... uh the hard evidence they need of the nine of the book of, of whatever. And from that, they're able to delineate into these other accusations and she's just not important. I would argue the exact opposite (laughs) that she is probably one of the most important. Right. But, but like to, to bring to trial right there, they have a confession out of her. Oh, No, they're not looking. I don't think they were looking at her as a target. Right, right. I think they were looking at her as useful, as a tool for them. 
So if anything, I think, and again, she is in this whole unique category by herself. She is now the informant. She has more information. She can provide them with more information than anyone else in Salem Village or the surrounding area. They just keep her around. Yeah. And they will, I'm not sure if she got brought back up, but I did find a notation about transferring her back up to Salem. So there was a letter sent in late May requesting that several prisoners be brought up to Salem for trial. Remember, Court of Oyer and Terminer gets put into place, so they're no longer going to be trying people down in Boston for this capital crime. They're going to cart them back up to Salem. In this request lists Bridget Bishop, John Proctor, Rebecca Nurse, Sarah Good, Susanna Martin, and John Willard, all of which we know do not make it out of this alive. Tichaba was also requested, but... They say this, quote, we pray that Tichaba the Indian and Mrs. Thatcher's maid may be transferred as evidences, but desire that they may not come amongst the prisoners, but rather by themselves with the records of the court of assistance. So they're actually, they're requesting for her to be transported separately and they're, they're specifically identifying her as evidence. That's why I think they just, they held her not in high regard, but they, she was a tool to them. Interesting. Interesting, right? I hadn't read that before I, until I, I now. I was going to say, I don't think I've ever. I don't know if that ended up happening, if Tichaba ended up coming out, because right, right. we don't see but, her. But regardless, even the, the notion that she is treated more as evidence than the part, which is, I don't think that. Has, made, has to do with her being an enslaved person either way. No, I think it's because of the information, the information she, she was able to give. So she is such a provider of information that she is more evidence than accused. Than a, a perpetrator. Yeah. Which is interesting because we actually see that in today's world where if you have enough information to give, you can save yourself. Yeah, you're put into... Witness protection program. Yeah. Yeah. Parallels centuries later. So even though she's kept in jail during this time, her testimony does still pop up here and there. Mm-hmm. I think there's only one or two instances where they do use her words against other, other people in the trials. Uh, for example, Sarah Good. Tijaba's name is seen in the summary of evidence against her and is also included under witnesses against Sarah Good. And again, during the examination of Martha Corey, she was asked, do not you believe there are witches in the country? Martha Corey responded, I do not know that there is any. He says, do not you know that Tichaba confessed it? So again, they are leaning back on that confession. Well, if Tichaba says so, then it must be real. Mm-hmm. Rebecca Nurse as well. Hawthorne's talking to Nurse. And uh, he says, when this witchcraft came upon the stage, there was no suspicion of Tichaba, Paris's Indian woman. She professed that she loves Betty, but it was her apparition that did the mischief. And why should not also be guilty for your apparition to hurt also? So he's saying that to Rebecca. Yeah. During her questioning. Yeah. He's saying, well... And of course, because Rebecca Nurse is like, I'm innocent. Why would I do this? There's no suspicion of me. I'm a good woman. And she's like, good well, there's no suspicion woman. of Tichaba anyway. And Tichaba hurt the one who she said she loved, Betty. So if Tichaba can do it and we have this evidence and she's admitted to it, then 
it is possible also that you can do the same thing. Wow, they're using that against the poor old woman. Hawthorne's like, so what do you think of this? And she says, I can't help it. They, the devil may appear in my shape. So we have Tichuba Indian. Uh, we mentioned her husband, John Indian. He's actually involved in the trials as well. So we'll talk about that real quick. Like a lot involved. Yeah. Personally, I think he jumped at the opportunity to get on that side of things to avoid people pointing the finger at him. Of course, if his wife is accused, there's a good chance that you could be next. But he jumps at the opportunity. The first mention of him comes on April 4th. And he is part of the afflicted. A complaint was issued against Elizabeth Proctor and Sarah Cloyce. It was filed by Nathaniel Ingersoll, member Ingersoll's Tavern, and Jonathan Walcott. And it states that Abigail Williams, John Indian, Mary Walcott, Ann Putnam, and Mercy Lewis have all suffered at the hands of two witches. I was kind of like stunned and I'll, I'll mention a couple other instances that he comes up I was stunned at the amount that he is involved because you always hear the afflicted girls the afflicted girls the afflicted girls they're always teenagers the teenage girls but he's in it for almost the entirety mm-hmm. he is part of their little coalition and personally I think that is a lot to do with Abigail Williams being in the household. Every time I saw them mentioned, they were together. It was Abigail Williams, John. Abigail Williams falls into a fit. John follows. I think he's, again, it's hard to read these things. I I don't think uh, he's as intelligent as Tichiba. I, I, I think from what I see of Tichiba, I think she's probably... Uh, Maybe not very intelligent. That's an assumption to make there, bud. I I I think she's able to read the room, see what they want, and... You don't think that's what he's doing here? I think he's... I I think he's uh, more jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah, that's smart. But but you see her ability to to give them the evidence that they wanted. He does it before he's even questioned. I think he's just following... He's always doing what they're doing. Yeah. Like just copying. And he sees it works. Well, I think that makes him smart. There is not a single, like, there's not it, a it, single he's man. He's not, like, interrogated, like, in, in, in the way that she is. So He's like, never interrogated. Right. So, but, so we can see her directly responding and providing the information. Exactly. So it's hard. He doesn't hard. get that opportunity. Yeah, so that's so why I said, we don't know, but I. Th- that's why I said it's a bold statement to make. I see her as like, and and him just like jumping on the bandwagon. But again, we don't know. I think he did jump on the bandwagon and I think (laughs) it was a smart decision because he knew that if he didn't, he'd probably be on the receiving end of it. I mean, if you're in the household with Abigail Williams, what are you going to do? Yeah. So on April 12th, Samuel Paris provides this statement and it is a very intense scene that he describes. Basically, the marshal had been sent up to inquire of John Proctor and his wife. And Samuel Paris was busy recording things about the Proctors, stuff that had been going on. Specifically, that John Proctor's specter had been tormenting Abigail during the day. And at night, now I'd say this is probably the closest thing we can get to an Abigail and John relationship. 
At night, his specter tormented her by beating upon her breast and pinching her. So Reverend Paris is recording this, but his writing is disrupted as Abigail, Mary Walcott, and John Indium descend once again into fits. Abigail cries out that she can see Goodman Proctor. He's sitting in the magistrate's lap, she says. Mary Walcott, meanwhile, goes deaf and dumb until she finally regains her composure and confirmed the sighting of John Proctor. Meanwhile, John Indian grew even more agitated. He saw John Proctor's specter perched upon the dog's back, and of Sarah Cloyce he yelled, Oh, you old witch! and descended into a, quote, violent fit that three men and the marshal could not without exceeding difficulty hold him. So imagine the young girls freaking out. Right. They're easy to wrangle. Yeah. This is a full-blown man. Grab a 12-year-old, not just a full-grown person. Like, he's probably, he's not working in the house. He's probably. He worked, well, actually, he worked a lot at Ingersoll's Tavern. Did I forgot he that. did? Still, but yeah, full yeah, grown dude, man. Yep, full grown man. Probably like pretty, you know. They were all pretty well fit built. Back then. Yeah, I mean, you know, if if freaking Giles Corey surviving under the stones, you can only imagine what other people. Yeah, but what a sight, right? You're busy recording your notes, and then all of a sudden, they start going crazy, and this full grown man who is supposed to be in your control completely. Is not. I wonder Paris loses his mind half the time. His whole house has just gone to shit. Yeah. Word reaches the magistrates that John Proctor had said to Joseph Pope, among other people, quote, if I had John Indian in my custody, I would soon beat the devil out of him. Which I believe we heard in The Crucible. I wonder if that might be a reference tool, stepping stone to Tichuba being beaten. Possibly. It's not the it's not a big leap to make. No. So those were from early April. He will go on to testify and and when I say testify, I mean he's part of the afflicted group of girls in the courtroom having their fits, freaking out, claiming they're seeing things. He'll end up testifying against uh Mary Warren, against Deliverance Hobbs, Mary Esty. Susanna Martin, and again at John Willard's trial, as well as Wilmot Red's. He's all over the place. And Elizabeth Howe. These are all people that you see in the Salem Witch Trials Memorial. He gave a lot of testimony. It's crazy. I shouldn't even say testimony because he didn't really give testimony. He was just just there. There performing. There are very few, if I don't think there's any depositions by him whatsoever. No, I'm not aware of any. Yeah. So just a very interesting dynamic. I think both him and Tichaba did what they had to do to survive. It's weird that not no one else, but maybe because he's enslaved, maybe because he's from Reverend Paris's home. Like, why weren't more people acting like that? Afflicted? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, if he thought that was going to get him out, well, maybe, I guess, maybe clearly he's right. Uh-huh. But no one else, not no one. But yeah, like, some people join in. No one else does, like, of, of the significant amount of people, like, no one else does that. He, like, jumps on hard. Yeah, and, well, st- I th- and sticks with it. I think Maybe you're he- right because he lives in the house with yeah. Reverend Paris. I 
that's why I think he picked it up from Abigail. Like, I don't know if there was any collusion going on behind well, the if scenes. He, if but he knew, maybe he, if he'd seen them plotting at all, like, I don't think they were, I think they were genuinely suffering from this, this psychological, psychological illness. But if he'd ever seen or heard, maybe there's just so many, so many unknowns. So many possibilities. Yeah. Maybe he saw it as the only way to save himself because he saw what happened to Tichba. And if he'd ever seen the girls like chatting or being, cause they probably, they probably talked, the girls probably talked freely in front of him more than they did in front of Reverend Paris. Oh, I would totally agree with that. So if he had gleaned any level of insight into their behavior, all it would take was for Abigail to be like, when Reverend Paris comes back tonight, you know, we must show that, that we're being afflicted. Mm-hmm. For him to be like, shit, I got to do that too. Otherwise, I'm going to end up like Tichaba. Mm-hmm. Who knows how much of it was like talked about, but I, yeah, it's. Yeah, yeah. That dynamic is there. Crazy. So crazy. Also, he probably thought all these f- are crazy. <laughs> like he probably, let's be honest, he's probably looking around like, are you kidding me? Is this really happening right yeah, now? Yeah. And, okay, now I'm imagining him like at the back of the courtroom while Tichaba's giving her testimony like, oh my God, I can't believe they're actually buying this shit. Yeah. <sighs> Fucking white people. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so do we just want to fast forward like a little bit? Yeah, because for the most part, She's not really involved. You know, they'll bring in her previous testimony to use against other accused, but Mm -hmm. she, from what we can tell, is never there to participate. She's just in Boston jail waiting to hear about her future. It's such a weird situation to be in, right? That she's one of the first to be transferred down there, and then she just sees these waves of people over and over again. Like, imagine hearing... Oh, Philip English is in jail with us. What? Rebecca Nurse. Rebecca Nurse. Dor- George Burroughs. Dorothy Good. Although I guess she's not very surprising, but still the fact that they imprisoned a child. Yeah. So now it is 1693. The court of Oyer and Terminer has been disbanded. Dismantled. Dismantled. Uh, we have a new standard court. There are still trials, but the idea of spectral evidence has been made illegal. Taken off the table. And we have, effectively, no more witches. So that leaves Tichaba sitting in jail till, um... Till May 9th, her official indictment comes. You want to read it, or... Yeah, I was thinking, I, I think we should read it. Okay. Hit me. Okay, the release from jail, province of Massachusetts Bay in England, Essex, as court of assesses and general jail... Delivered, held in Ipswich for the county of Essex, afforded the 9th day of May, 1693, in the fifth year of their majesty's reign. The jurors for sovereign lord and lady, the king and queen, are present. That Tichaba, an Indian woman, servant to Mr. Samuel Paris of Salem Village, in the county of Essex, in the town of Salem Village, wickedly, maliciously, and felonously. A covenant with the devil did make and signed the devil's book with a mark like a C, by which wicked covenanting with the devil, she said, Tichaba is become a detestable witch against the peace of our sovereign lord and lady, king 
and queen, their crown and dignity and the laws, in that case, made and provided. So basically, she is being brought to trial at Ipswich. So we're not even doing like a capital case down in Boston at this point. It is, if anything, I think this speaks to how low they're putting the trials now. Mm -hmm. Like they're recognizing the error of their ways. We got to tone it down a bit. So it's imagine today you're like, this case was heard in front of the Supreme. So normally cases go up, right? You yep. hear it in this court and at a federal court and appeals court. Da-da. And now it's like it went to the Supreme Court. And they're like, well, we don't want this. So it's going to go to the appeal. And we don't want that. It's going to go to the district court. Oh, we don't. We're just going to hold it in a little court and it switch real quick. Exactly. And that case was dismissed by the grand jury for a lack of evidence, which is stunning because she's the one that supplied mm-hmm. all the evidence at the beginning. But still owing money for her jail stay. It's not like she's getting out at that point. So we've talked about the the jail thing before. I won't touch on that in a second. I did want to kind of talk about the ignoramus real quick, as it is on that letter. Sure. So that court document is is then followed by um, on the reverse side. It says indictments against Tichaba Indian servant to Mister Paris. The word ignoramus, and then Abraham Hasline foreman for the grand jury. So. Oftentimes, people use that as uh, an evidence to argue several things, um, whether Tichiba was an idiot, whether uh, this thing was not important, whether someone else was an ignorant person. Um, but all that actually is, is a legal term um, saying we do not know. And therefore, uh, grand juries would write this on bills of indictments when they decided there was insufficient evidence for the person to be found guilty. I think what a lot of people have heard and I have actually heard being perpetuated on the streets in town is that she gets, and we all know that she ends up getting purchased by someone. Mm -hmm. We don't know who, Mm -hmm. but somehow along the research wave, someone, and I, and I don't even think it's this document. And I think there's another document tied to her jail stay when she is taken out. No one is listed on that document as purchasing her. Right. So I've heard that ignoramus is equivalent to basically village idiot, mm-hmm. um, unintelligent. But as you just pointed out, that is 100% not the case. There is sometimes attached. So the um, head juror that uh, lost his name. Abraham Hasline, there's several documents that his name's attached to. Some of them say ignoramus before it, and some of them say Vera, which is sort of the opposite of we do know. So these are just 17th century legal terminology terminology that we then see and have misinterpreted over time. People like to do that about the witch trials. Yeah. And I think in particular about Salem, Mm -hmm. or sorry, in particular about Tichaba. And I've, I've seen that narrative perpetuated as the an ignoramus is someone who can't read or write. And then so whoever that ignorant or ignoramus is was uh, perhaps John Indian. Yeah, we hashed this out before we popped yeah, on. Yeah. And you did have like a really good yeah. like setup yeah. argument that it it doesn't make sense for a quote-unquote ignoramus person to purchase her because someone that can't read or write they wouldn't have the funds the money, right. to get her out of jail and pay 
over a year's worth of back bills. Right. So where does that fit? It doesn't make sense. So it's an oddity. And but then come to find out it has nothing to do with being able to read yeah. or write. It is just some uh, legal jargon. Which we don't maybe we do use anymore. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. But uh the ignoramus is meaning we, the people who did not know. Not some other random person is ignorant. They didn't know. So there we go. That has been cleared up as well. Now, according to witch trials expert Marilyn K. Roach, based on the bills that we do have, Tichaba likely stayed imprisoned until somewhere between July and early August of that year, 1693. And then, as we said, she is purchased. We don't know by whom. And that's sort of where her story ends. Yeah, sorry to say. The last mention that we get of her in the historical record, and you could argue against this one too, is made by Robert Califf in his More Wonders of the Invisible World. (laughs) Jeffrey's laughing because it is a direct response to Cotton Mather's Wonders of the Invisible (laughs) World. Can you imagine writing a book being like, Wonders of the Invisible World, and some other guy being like, yeah, you know what, asshole? More wonders of the invisible world. Yeah, remember when I said, hey, I figured out what I would name my tour company. (laughs) Even better than fiction. (laughs) That would be literally. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. Yep. But yeah, so Robert Califf, he was, and I think we've mentioned him before on here, he was a huge detester of the witch trials. Right. He was a Bostonian merchant, had a pretty good reputation was relatively well off and he did come up to Salem to witness at least one of the executions. And I believe he was there for Giles Corey's pressing as well. Does talk about that. But in his book, he claims to have gotten in contact with Tichaba. We're talking several years mm-hmm. after the book itself was published in 1700, but it's said that he was pulling it together from 1697 to 1700. So at least four years after she gets out of jail. So can we say that this was her and that he actually did find her? We don't know. But I do want to read what he wrote, just a quick paragraph, because it is where we pull, I think, some of our modern interpretations of her story. The first complained of was the said Indian woman named Tichaba. She confessed that the devil urged her to sign a book, which he presented to her, and also to work mischief to the children. She was afterwards committed to prison and lay there till sold for her fees. The account she since gives is that her master did beat her and other ways abuse her to make her confess and accuse, such as he called her sister witches, and that whatsoever she said by way of confessing or accusing others was the effect of such usage. Her master refused to pay her fees unless she would stand to what she had said. So there is this idea, version, narrative, as you could say. of As t- I would say. As you would say, of Tichaba's story that Reverend Paris beat her, possibly coached her on what to say, And this is where it comes from. This is the only mention in the historical record we have of this happening. Which, to to his credit, if he did track down Tichaba and he did talk to her, and that is what she said. I really hope that he found her 
And I hope this is the last communication we have of hers. But I also, I find it slightly hard to believe because it, the short amount of time between her first and second, it's, it's a day, maybe, right? You're, she's not going to learn that in a day. She, maybe he had come in and said, you must tell them about the book. You must tell them. But that, that's just. But also there, there's speculation that he was doing it before, like before even March 1st questioning. Yeah. We don't know, but this is where that information comes from. And you kind of just got to take Robert Califf at his word. And, and that's sort of the first bit of information we have of her post-trials. And then she sticks out as an important uh, historical figure from then on. That we, we, have, uh, we talked last time about the evolution of her ethnicity uh, and the idea of her, her being a slave and her being black and the, this voodoo idea. Which, by the way, we read for you her confession. There's nothing about voodoo. There's nothing about animal sacrifices. There is no, we all went and danced in the woods. Like if that would have happened, don't you think she would have said it? Almost, almost. I I think everything she said is uh, Eurocentric witchcraft, is is English, European witchcraft. The ideas, the familiars, the cats, the brooms. The witch cake. The The only magic this woman, from what we can tell, performed was not a voodoo but it was of european traditions yeah and she was told to do it by her white neighbor yeah so there is no african uh, um no uh cultural indigenous traditions nothing like that is showing up in her confessions in her words at, at any point if anything that is a complete construction of her post trials by scholars by historians by playwrights so we look at her evolution and, and and how that sort of built and constructed we can go over that real quick so i think we would want to start with uh mr charles upham who wrote salem witchcraft in 1867 now remember this is the first full-blown history of what happened during 1692. He does describe her as an Indian servant. So at least he got her, he, he her race right. right. He gets it right. But he does say a circle of young girls had been formed and it was for the purpose of practicing palmistry and other arts of fortune telling, necromancy, magic, and spiritualism. Of course. So definitely playing up the magic thing. I think those are the two main threads that people like to tamper with. Mm -hmm. It's her race and her origins, and then also whether or not she was practicing witchcraft for real. The year after Upham writes that, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow comes out with a play, Giles Corey of the Salem Farms, where he describes Tichaba as half Indian and half Negro. He also calls her a savage. For really no reason. There, there's, there's no evidence to, to support this other than likely the use of the word slave and it being 1868. So we see that's the first uh, use of, of her as, as mixed uh, in, in that construct. You have to wonder if Longfellow actually got his hands on a copy of Upham's book. I'd say probably. I mean, it's just back to back. Like that's that's a quick turnaround. Um, but definitely, it's possible. I would hope so. 
that he would have that reference material to work through. I, I think he probably did. But I could see also it being very easy to just see the word slave and go with it. Yeah, I think, and again, we don't know. I think he sees Upham describe her as Indian and mm-hmm. says, okay, and then sees her as a slave and says, okay, and those are two separate things. And like in his mind, the slaves that he sees are black. Yeah. So he goes. Yeah, remember, she, we're, we're right around Civil War yeah, era. Yeah, so he goes slave, black, Indian, Indian, quote unquote, not, you know, uh, indigenous to the, the, the uh, Venezuela region and puts that into a, a single narrative. And that's basically what gets pushed for the next century. Uh, Fisk in 1902 and uh, some of his writings, he actually describes her as a hag, the hag Tichaba. Uh, she passed for John's wife, uh, half Indian, half Negro, also of low intelligence. Um, and he also then doubles down on the, which makes them experts in fortune telling and palmistry. And we actually don't get to see her as a uh, full uh, uh, person of African descent until Arthur Miller. He seems to be the first person to do that. I think I've said that, said this in his, he does that intentionally, I think. I really wonder why he went that route, if it was just more something that they were used to seeing, I guess, like paint, I mean, easier to paint her as the other. Oh, we talked about this in yeah, the, yeah. the Crucible episode. Yeah. I, I think he uses it as a storytelling narrative, as a, a tool. And I think he does that intentionally. I don't think, I don't think he probably realized the effect that it would have socially mm-hmm. on her as a historical figure. Right. Um, maybe he did. I, I, We'll never know. But I think, he again, he does it intentionally uh, so that in people's minds, all he has to do is say that and they get it. So we actually have two playwrights to thank for uh, distorting her identity. <laughs> First Longfellow and, and then, then Arthur, Miller. Arthur Miller. Thanks, thanks guys. Thanks. Oh, you took the words right out of my mouth. Thanks, guys. <laughs> thanks, guys. And it, it's weird when you, and again, we talked about this in, in, in Arthur Miller's episode. Such a great story such a great piece of historical literature such a great critique of the times but like what possessed you to change that a little bit racist dude like come on no one's perfect i guess scholars got a bit better at understanding her story perhaps the first aside from elaine breslaw would be chadwick hansen and he had produced several works on the trials and published an article in 1974 entitled The Metamorphosis of Tichaba, or Why American Intellectuals Can't Tell an Indian Witch from a Negro. And that was published in the New England Quarterly. I worked for them once. Oh, small world. Mm-hmm. But after Chadwick Hansen, we get, again, Elaine Breslau actually going down to Barbados and trying to trace her roots. So how, how, how many centuries is that from? That's nearly 300 years. Actually, I think this was published in like the early 90s, so it might have been 300 years on the dot. 96. So almost 300 years until her story could finally be told. And she does pop up in pop culture here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coven. Yes. Yep. American Horror Story Coven. Yeah. Yeah. Queenie. Yeah. Yeah. Remember Being she. De- descendant. She, yep. She's descendant of 
So remember, you have a Marie Laveau in there actually Mm -hmm. practicing voodoo magic, Mm -hmm. but Queenie is different in that she was descended from Tichaba of Salem. Who obviously was not a witch, but I guess that's the narrative of uh, the entire conversation we're going to have. And then also the TV show Salem. Yes, yes. Which I, I love her character in that. She's kind of like the mastermind in that. She is not in the home of Reverend Paris, but rather Mary Sibley. Which is both totally right and totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Makes for great storytelling. Right? You're like, wait, but you didn't, you weren't in the home Mary Sibley, but you listened to Mary Sibley. So you're listening to Mary Sibley in the show because that's what you actually did historically. And there's no witch cake, but there's a lot, lot of, of witchcraft. witchcraft. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I think that takes us to the end. So again, probably one of the most unique historical figures from the trials. She went very quickly from being an accused to an accuser. And I think without her testimony, we wouldn't have a Salem witch trials. We probably wouldn't be here right now. Without John Hathorne's line of questioning, he forced her to confess to something that just, how many people signed the book? You signed the book. You signed it in blood. What did you see? Who hurts them? Why do you hurt them? On and on and on. But with that, we hope you enjoyed part two of Tichaba. Next week, we've got a little um, Revolutionary War history. Whoa, that's something we haven't <laughs> done before. Surprise! We're going to jump ahead a couple of centuries. So we've got an anniversary coming up. That we do. But uh, that's all we're going to tell you. Yeah, yeah. You probably know. They maybe. probably, uh, maybe. 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 Bravely ran away, away. Uh, so again, uh, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, make sure you check out our, our website. Uh, subscribe to the Patreon. We got our merch. You like ectoplasm. You like skulls. You like what we do. Support us through that. Or or you can sign up to the Patreon. Check out our extra content. We've got videos, bloopers. <laughs> bloopers. All the fun things. Otherwise, like, subscribe, share, tell your friends. And thanks for listening. See you later. Thank you.